Prepare thine ears, prepare thine bum. For the things we think about podcast has come. Now for your hosts, Kenny and Aaron. Hello and welcome to episode six of Things We Think About. This is your host, Aaron, and we are once again Sons Kenny. He is, I believe, moving into his bunker to prepare now for the fallout from the Area 51 raid. So yeah, he's planning when they inevitably come and lean back on him with all the governmental might that he can sustain his way of life. And I'm going to keep making that joke until until something very tragic happens in the news regarding Area 51, and then it won't be funny, and then we'll think of another reason why uh, Kenny's not here. So anywho, today we're talking about transhumanism, and you might be thinking, what the hell is transhumanism? It's a kind of an interesting word. When I first heard it, I immediately jumped to transgender, transsexual. Anytime you hear trans, uh, usually it precludes one of those two adjectives. So yeah, we're going to get into what that means later on the show. Essentially, it ties in, though, to a lot of the interests that me and Kenny have in artificial intelligence and how technology is basically affecting every aspect of our lives. And transhumanism is essentially a philosophical framework, ethical framework, on which we can view a lot of these things. So Quick little housekeeping here. Just want to mention that the Ramshackle Brewing Company is now open. They're serving a lot of great brewskis, so go and check that out. That was episode three we did with Joe. Check that episode out if you're interested in kind of the genesis of Ramshackle Brewing Company and a little bit of the science behind how the beer is made. And I've been seeing some great things. Uh, They have a great Beer It Forward program where basically you can buy somebody a beer with the stipulation of, say, like, for example, being a veteran. And they put it on their board and then a veteran comes in. They take it and they get a free beer. So it's really quite the uh, socialist beer regime they have over there. I mean, not really, of course. Again, at the end of the day, they get the coin. So outside of that, it's just the usual shout outs to uh, the Facebook page, the Reddit threads, all that other stuff. Uh, We've been seeing a lot of great traffic come in and we just want to keep saying we appreciate your continued support of the show. So without further ado, I'm going to be talking with Frank today. He's somebody I found on the our transhumanism Reddit thread. Uh, He's been on several other podcasts. He's uh, had an interest in transhumanism and everything tech for most of his life. And yeah, we had a pretty lively discussion over what exactly it is. So without further ado, here's Frank. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, we're going to get into it today with a little transhumanistic or humanism or whatever the nomenclature is. So, I, you know, I'm I'm got to confess, I'm very green in the whole subject as a whole. I, I was watching um, the HBO show Years and Years, and that word was brought up, and it immediately piqued my interest because I, I thought they said transgender or transsexual, which is what we <laughs> usually hear, but transhumanism, I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, yeah, um, just for the record, um, I thought that joke, um, I thought it was like a little forced. I thought it was probably the, uh, one of the worst parts of the otherwise, of that otherwise pretty fantastic show. Mm. But yeah, you know, like you got to give like, you, you got to like get the normies in on it somehow, right? Yeah. Which I definitely am at this point. Yeah. So transhumanism is, um, pretty old idea. If you read, um, there's like people who have like, you know, tried to like, 
piece its sort of lineage throughout history. And, you know, you can kind of find examples of it going back really to like the, the very first like recorded mythologies. I don't know, like I think um, people cite like the Epic of Gilgamesh and also there's um, some really interesting stuff, um, like people looking at like ancient Greek legends and showing how like there were things that today we would recognize as like robots or like stuff like that. I think the reason for that is, is um, so the popular of association with transhumanism is usually it's, it's tied better or worse because of people mainly get it through stuff like Hollywood, which, you know, has a, like an incentive to tell like really interesting, entertaining stories. Um, it's, you know, associated with stuff like the matrix or the Terminator, um, like really flashy, like science fiction, uh, I really, I, I would say like um, transhumanism is kind of the default state of being human. Um, I think a really good example of this is that of fire. Um, mm-hmm. In the evolutionary record, um, I think I think we can like pinpoint the roughly when our species like started using fire on regularly because um, you can see like our, our bodies changed. Um, we started outsourcing um, tasks that would have been done by like, um, you know, our gut or our teeth in terms of like breaking down food and digesting it to fire. So through cooking, we um, no longer required um, certain biological features. And so, you know, gradually over time, those disappeared. Um, We can tell from the fossil record, there's some interesting theories about how cooking may have given us larger brains, but um, there's much less evidence for that because brain matter doesn't, uh, it doesn't like, it isn't as well preserved, Mm. but um, yeah, like I think um, really uh, it's like part of being human. It's, it is inseparable from technology. That's, that's like how I really define transhuman. It's like really making explicit the fact that to be human is to um, like use technology and it's it's like it's impossible to um, separate ourselves from technology. It, it's like this recentering around around okay so this is the case um, we should like critically engage with it because you know <laughs> I, it's it's like trite to say but it's true um, the world we live in like the technological possibilities for both good and bad are like obviously stark and they're growing starker by the day um, and you know that was explored in years and years like it's pretty easy to imagine like like an anti-technological movement like what happened in that show like rising up and in some ways it's justified and I say this is like someone who's pretty pro-technology like you know there are abuses that are happening like I don't think that's inherent to the technology but technology raises the stakes um, I think I think like a perspective where we critically engage with this stuff and we don't just like let it evolve quote unquote like naturally which of course it doesn't like there's you know massive institutional forces shaping how things play out like I think that's essential and I think that's what transhuman transhumanism brings to like like th- those are the questions that like discourse promotes and you know like yeah like you know there's like cool stuff where people talk about like the really futuristic cyborgs and like mind uploading or whatever but I think I think that's beside the point I I wear glasses and I think um I think like that's a like that's a perfect example of a transhumanist technology and I think it's one that's you know been incredibly successful so yeah like I I I really like to also kind of have the discourse also include like these things that we think is low tech that you know glasses have um served us for like thousands of years and i think that suggests that you know they're very robust and they're very like useful it's not like certain other forms of technology where you know there there's a lot of hype and then they're over 
like nobody uses them in like a couple of years. Um, I think that that's another really interesting perspective. Um, yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah, it's funny you bring up glasses because we're already seeing obvious technological advances. I mean, we have, of course, LASIK's been around for what, 20, 25 plus years. And that's a, that's a supplement to our, our normal degrading vision. I think it's great that you point out the very obvious example of fire and um, its relation to basically it's almost like the first trans thing we we've had as as human any just the basic definition of you know any human process that isn't done innately by us could be considered transhumanistic you know that that's a really interesting point because um yeah that's true like fire is sort of like you know this external thing to us we exist within a symbiotic relationship with but like if you look at like the evolutionary record like that's been happening since the beginning mitochondria which um is you know this essential part of cellular of like a cell's ability to produce energy that was originally like a, a, a just a bacteria that was swimming around and then it got eaten by another bacteria and then they entered into a symbiotic relationship with each other um, because like the energy produced by mitochondria um, was useful and then the bigger bacteria could do things for it. Mm. So like the only difference between that and technology is that wasn't planned and also technology happens at a much faster rate. It's like constantly symbiotic and like mutualistic relationships throughout nature um the only difference is is you know we're more conscious of it and we've got like this awareness of it and a meta awareness where we can go like one level up and we can like start thinking about rearranging relationships and stuff um yeah i mean it's interesting that you you mentioned the mitochondria example i mean that's an example of uh natural selection to a certain degree and you know you could argue whether there's any human touch to that other than to say that the, that's a process that uh, happened in our evolution in our biology i've heard the argument made too that the only way basically to go forward now is through artificial selection and i think to me that's essentially why i'm so interested in transhumanism and uh, i know at other times in the show we've talked about our interest in artificial intelligence and how that plays into everything, which I think, you know, to me, AI could be a part of uh, a transhumanist ethos, uh, more just kind of kind of within the philosophy, you know, they're not separate from each other. I really like this idea, though, that there's a symbiosis between uh, technology and us and that relationship. Um, that's really, really what interests me as well. Um, I'm wondering for, for your end, what kind of got you into this kind of stuff? I've been like aware of it for a while now. This might date me or might not. Um, I, I think I probably first came across it explicitly uh, from like the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm. You know, the, that was like, like, you know, just like his milieu of sort of hippie LA people, which obviously is very close to Silicon Valley. Like, you know, it, it's this sort of thing comes up, but um, I didn't really take it all that seriously. But then um, I came down with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a whole other thing and I'm going to go into very complicated. Um, but basically, like, um, I think before I had chronic fatigue, I guess it was a lot easier to think of my body as like this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there was a very clear delineation between inside and outside. And then after chronic fatigue syndrome, because all these things went wrong and I had to like individually fix them and play around with them. Um, and I also learned a lot about biology and medicine because chronic fatigue syndrome isn't very well studied. And so I had to like do my own research. I became just more aware of like how it's 
you, you can't really delineate yourself. You're, there is like there is like something of a boundary there, but it's very porous and things can be changed. And I just, I gained a lot more of an appreciation for just how complex and like dynamic things are and how in many ways the human form that we're given is quite arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I guess that made me more receptive. Yeah. Gotcha. So if you don't mind, and I, and I do want to respect uh, your boundary on, on it if, for sure, so you don't feel like you have to answer, but I, could you help me understand what chronic fatigue syndrome is maybe, uh, like how um, it's defined, yeah. at least medically? Yeah. So so the fun, the really fun thing is, um, so syndrome is basically like doctor speak for, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, so um, chronic fatigue syndrome, like um, it doesn't have any biomarkers just yet. Um, there's some people working on it in terms of things that we can actually point to in the body. There is no formal definition yet. I think the diagnosis is like, you know, six months or like a year of like fatigue and there's no other explanations or something. It's like I got my diagnosis years ago and I can't really remember what happened. But uh, yeah, it's it's really, really complicated. I, I think one positive thing about it is um, I think that the research that's going on with chronic fatigue syndrome right now, it's going to have applications in so many other areas, you know, especially in the domain of like anti-aging, because it's a lot of the symptoms are like they also like show up in people who are like suffering from the same problems that come with aging if that makes sense yeah and i think that's another reason why i like became attracted to transhumanism is because like you know i'm like in my mid-20s right now and like my early 20s were like this weird period where like i was living the life of someone you know like four or five times my age just because like what i could do was so limited and um yeah, because I had all these problems um, and thankfully I've gotten better. Um, I'm still recovering, but yeah, I've made significant progress. But yeah, it's like this really wild insight um, that I have, which um, I don't know, like it's it's super cliche, but like I am quite grateful for what I went through, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I got better, um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Definitely doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like all the, the like, yeah, I think... I think there's like pretty good evidence showing that like people who suffer traumatic experiences um, generally find them when they look back in retrospect, if they survive, uh, to be pretty uplifting, probably just as like a basic psychological defense mechanism. I find it, you know, really insightful um, to have kind of had that experience. And in certain ways, like I'm very mature, despite the fact I missed out on like years of my life because of this, Mm. which is super interesting. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. But it's, it's great to hear that you found the silver lining to your situation. And I, I agree uh, how frail things can be and how much for granted we take different processes in our body. I'm in relative health. I don't have any particular, you know, even allergies uh, to anything except maybe penicillin. So, but does that make me more, quote, human than somebody else who has maybe, you know, some other type of accessibility issue or something like that? I'm not sure. But uh, definitely, I can see how that would spark an interest in the subject and just the general wanting to shed the skin, essentially, of humanity. And usually in this debate, it seems like there's, at least initially, uh, so far if I've studied, there's kind of the two camps, right? There's one that, that's saying, oh, well, let's keep the, good, the human things human. Um, let's not worry about all this stuff in the future and the other camps. Well, no, we, we need to race towards this stuff in the future because otherwise, what the hell are we doing? 
there's this paper by this um, transhumanist philosopher, Nick Bostrom. Um, it's called something like astronomical waste or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically him making an argument for why, like, we should be devoting basically all of our resources towards um, first getting into space and then, like, colonizing basically all of space. Um, and his argument is is that, um, I, I don't know, like, every day or something, another, like, galaxy um slips there's uh there's this radius of like stuff in the universe that we can get to before it goes so far away that we'll never be able to reach it because of like light speed limitations mm. and he's like basically arguing like you know if you value human life or consciousness or even something as banal as paper clips well then you want to get that stuff before it slips away um otherwise it's um like will we just lost forever and I don't take quite that perspective. Mm. I do think, like, God, um, the energy that, you know, our sun puts out every second and the amount of it that, you know, just um, is just wasted in... It just, like, will go into space and the only thing it will ever do will maybe reach, like, eyes um, of, like, aliens millions or billions of years into the future. <laughs> And, you know, maybe, like, they'll see, like, a sparkling star or something, and that'll be the only thing it'll do. You can make arguments about it, but, like, just the sheer amount of, um, you know, energy that is going into nothing, I think I think it's, like, a really, um, <laughs> it's difficult to wrap your head around, but once you do, you're, like, thrown back, like, awed at the fact that we're just, like, wasting all this potential, mm-hmm. um, and... and yeah um at the same time like um i think i think people who are more conservative about this they they, they do have a point yeah um obviously <laughs> it is incredibly trite to say but let's say it again new technology um is is dangerous and it is disruptive mm-hmm. um and you know you can't just like wipe that away by saying like oh you know but it's gonna be great like there are there are are, like unintended consequences and i i have like lived with some of that i'm sure part of my chronic fatigue was caused by like i don't know like stuff like overuse of antibiotics um Mm. and you know like maybe crappy nutrition because i was eating like fast food or like plants that didn't grow in didn't have the right amount of nutrition because of like the farming agricultural practices we use or something like that. It is, uh, as like the science fiction writer, Cory Doctorow says, it's like, you know, like everything's going to be like a great and amazing if we don't like fuck it all up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, it seems obvious, but (laughs) you know, it's very true. (laughs) You know, you just, you want to make sure like everyone like is aware of Mm -hmm. the possibilities because then you can make, like more informed decisions right this is a slight tangent but i think in this day and age like i think you know there's a lot of concern about like crisis of meaning like our civilization mm-hmm. or whatever and I, I i think there's something to that but i think i think a really like understated part of that is like for example if i was like working at something like spacex or something like one of these companies or research labs or whatever that are like really like making this stuff happen like i would wake up every day and I'd be like, man, like, you know, I could be like helping send like humanity to the stars. Like, that's fucking awesome. But I think, I think the problem is, is like, yeah, like that's, that's really great. But like also once you realize it, you also like realize 
the potential for stuff to go wrong mm. and also like the consequences even when they go right are like they're just so overwhelming that we don't have sort of the institutional the institutional like narratives even to like understand them like <laughs> i definitely see that being an issue um and like you mentioned you've seen a little bit of the externalities and the human cost of trying to advance technology in the name of technology or or capital or capitalism or you know however however nefarious way you we would want to frame it and rightfully so in a lot of cases you know there's not anything really that doesn't have some type of cost but it's interesting going back real quick to the idea that the universe is expanding and then we're in a little bit of an arms race to kind of grab all these things so to speak um or or just the idea i should say that and you can kind of go one of two ways that there's so much universal waste going on so you know if you throw so if if somebody hears that and maybe they say well i i guess i can throw my trash out the window because it's all fakakt anyway, you know, the more nihilistic to the the other end of the spectrum where, where I feel I'm a little more at, it's like, that just means that it's even more of a rare and beautiful thing that we're here and we need to be even better stewards than we are because if we want to even attempt to reach any of these resources or, or reach anything beyond our planet, then, you know, we have to start here. This is, this is the best shot we have and yeah. we're ever going to have. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 No, um, I can't, I can't remember who said it, but, um, I remember someone like reading something on Twitter where like someone was like, you know, there are there are either like two possibilities, either like the universe is completely meaningless or like, you know, it has a meaning and both are like equally terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which they can be, right? Depending on sometimes it depends on the day, really, on your mood. Almost yeah. it can change. Yeah. Well like well, like I like I'm not even like talking about like personal meaning. Like I I'm like talking about like, you know, like like the really crazy shit where like you know we we delve even like deeper below string theory or whatever um and then it turns out you know like there's like actual like meaning written into like the physics of the universe which would be terrifying and amazing um but i won't speculate on that because i failed both of my math courses at university so that's not (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm nowhere near that level of sophistication. When I hear uh, meaning yeah. in the universe, the only thing that pops up in my head is, uh, you know, religious dogma and uh, their mm. claims to that kind of meaning. But that is that is a whole other yeah, ra- yeah. whole other rabbit hole that we don't need to get down. Yeah, well, um, no, um, <laughs> on something slightly more tangible, uh, I think what you were getting at is like um, sustainability and like general not fucking everything up here on Earth uh, and how that relates to transhumanism. And that that's also another reason that's also another thing that brought me in. Um I think um so I think um one area I'm really excited about is um like meat replacements. Yeah. I apologize to anyone out there who eats meat. I eat meat. I do it because um the diet I'm on I need to get fat in me and I find chicken to be a you know, a reasonable middle ground because um beef is like really bad and chicken is not as bad, but it's still bad. But I think um like meat alternatives be it you know like the impossible burger or actual lab growing stuff i think um if we manage to like pull it off and we manage to get like widespread um adoption by society i think um we'll look back on it basically as like a moral victory equivalent to like the abolition of slavery Mm -hmm. um that brings me on to something else um i think um one so 
uh, I think one really interesting thing that transhumanism does is um, I think it like sees that human intelligence, we only think it's special right now because we have nothing to compare it to. And so there's the possibility of, um, I think it's animal uplifting where the aim is to like bring animals the same intelligence as us. And there's like some people out there who like take this even a step further um, and they're talking about like abolishing all suffering within like the ecosystem, which is completely insane. But it's like one of those really good insane things where, you know, your your first reaction should be like, wait, what? And then it should be like, but, you know, if you could actually pull this off, like just imagine how amazing that would be. Yeah, I, I think transhumanism as like just a humanism that tries to extend the circle of what we consider to be like things that we should care about like beyond just the human um and you know it shouldn't just be like a paternalistic arrangement where like we're like oh yeah we you know we have to care for these animals because you know they're too stupid to do it to do it for themselves but like it's more of a proactive thing where we're like yeah you know we want to raise these animals we want to give them the ability to make decisions the same as us yeah, so, you know, I think um, giving animals the same, like, intelligence as humans, um, I think I think is, like, a really interesting area of transhumanism. And I think, um, you know, I think giving them the ability to, like, self-determine as humans could potentially, although, you know, it's probably decades, if not centuries away, um, that perspective of, like, we should be treating these things as if one day they would have the same cognitive capabilities as us i think that is like a good perspective to have a lot of times we frame the transhumanist debate or it's been framed i should say as i've heard it from human to human we don't think about the implications of somehow imbuing humanity to something else to uh, an animal or some other less than human object or 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 sentient sapio kind of thing uh, yeah, so I take I take issue with the word like human in that context. I think right now um, it's like a good placeholder, but I think really the only reason we use it is because you know humans are the only example we have of it, like intelligence right now. Right. So you know, were we to see like other forms of intelligence arise, I think um, I think the notion of like an essential like anything like that was that's like essentially human, I think would be lost. Um, I, and and that's not to say like you know there aren't things that are good that we should value, but I think we would start seeing them as just like attributes of things that have intelligence as opposed to things that are just uniquely human. Right. Um. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense, and I suppose you're right. Uh, calling it human is kind of the only language we have right now, but certainly we can imagine a future where it'd be either some amalgamation of a labels of some type to imbue something that has intelligence, that has consciousness, that has meta uh, layers of, of awareness, kind of the things that make us uniquely human, as opposed to maybe our chimp ancestors or, or something like that. Yes. And I think, I think like, again, that like goes back to what the, I think the core of transhumanism is, which is wanting to expand, you know, this circle of what we currently call human, but I think would quickly become like intelligence, metacognition or whatever. For sure, yeah. And there's people who are uh, more on the side of trying to preserve that humanity to some mm -hmm. degree in, in its forms. 
Um, I think there's always going to be that to some degree. There's always going to be folks, um, when we see it in our political discourse here in the States, (laughs) with the Keep America Great Again, like, let's keep things, let's not tamper too much, you know, let's not play with God too much, even though we've done it. We've been doing it since, uh, like we stated at the top of this, since fire. Yeah, and also, like, there's a hypocrisy there, you know, like, yeah, like right now, like the current political system in the United States may seem like very like conservative. You know, you if you went back like 200 years ago, you know, the current system they have would be seen as like radical and dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, like the most conservative Republican, some social issues, like they'd be seen as, you know, like a radical liberal or something. So, yeah, um, maybe maybe the solution is, is just, you know, don't give those people life extension. Um. <laughs> yeah. And that just brings up this big old ball of ethics. <laughs> you know, you hear the phrase often to be on the wrong side of history. And certainly our social evolution is going to make heads or tails of all that stuff. You know, it already has in a lot of ways. That's why I just I guess I it's harder for me to understand to some degree the folks who who always side on the preservation side of things. I can't, it's hard for me to take a non-nuanced stance, I guess, uh, with these types of things. And you were you were kind of alluding to this earlier when you were talking about like moving to like artificial selection versus like natural selection. I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm confident enough that I'll say it and people can call me an idiot if I'm wrong. But I think there's like pretty good um, evidence for, um, for why like Darwinian evolution uh, in terms of like a natural selection process is like sort of like built into nature and you can probably like justify it mathematically just because like a sufficiently complex environment you can't really from scratch build something and so you so you need like an, iter- an iterative a process to um make progress within that area yeah i think there is like certainly something to the notion that you shouldn't throw everything away and try and like rebuild it from scratch using like a simplistic set of principles to guide you. So yeah, I think I think there's something to that. It's you know I just I just I just have like an issue when you know people say like oh you know like this is the natural way. You use like medicine and you know you like drive cars and like you use all this stuff that completely contradicts your your supposed principles. Uh, which is like I guess I, I have a little more respect for people who are like you know no we should just go back to being hunter gatherers. Yeah, like they are. <laughs> You know, even if, even if, like, you know, that means, like, yeah, Yeah. like, even if that means, you know, potentially killing, like, however many billion humans, at least you're consistent in your logic Mm -hmm. as opposed to people who are really probably just more, like, afraid of having to update their principles in accordance with the new reality. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't want their current bubble to be invaded to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, their social norms to change, their jobs to be the same. Consistency, which, you know, I think some of it, I have empathy for that. Uh, some of that's out of a place of consistency and community. And uh, certainly those are good things, but taken to a tribalistic place, it can kind of get you in trouble. But yeah, I think the beauty of of transhumanism so far as I've looked into it is that it's really, it's a striving. It's like a kind of a philosophical and ethical and et cetera, et cetera, framework is trying to encompass all of the potential things we will run up against as these technologies become even more and more invasive. And to me, the biggest uh, ethical quagmire I can see that we're in, and certainly countries like China are are just now starting to experiment uh, with like their social ranking system and things like that is, is data rights. 
Um, you know, do we have a claim to our, our likeness and our privacy? And how far does our government want to reach with that? Like here in the States, um, when the Edward Snowden stuff happened, that's when I got really concerned about this kind of stuff. It was such a huge expose that people kind of more or less shrugged off. And we're just sort of complicit and complacent. Um, and it's, it's not just the government, it's private entities too. So you have really, you have this dual pronged thing. And right now it's, it's benevolent to some degree. I mean, as far as we know, I mean, you know, it's a whole, that's again, that's a whole other rabbit hole that can get us into some conspiracy, but how does it stay benevolent? How can we ensure that our data and our likeness, our privacy is going to stay ours? All right. So there's like multiple layers to this question, which means I'll have to talk a lot. Um, <laughs> no worries. So um, most important one is most of the data monitoring that goes on in the West is being driven by companies basically looking to maximize advertiser revenue. And this is because the business model of uh, internet, of corporations that exist on the internet, it's basically um, the way it played out uh, with like the dot com crash, late nineties, early two thousands, basically like the only way that you can actually make money is to advertise, and you want to get better at advertising, which means you want to know more about people. Therefore, you like try and scrape as much data as possible, and you you know you create these really sophisticated algorithms to analyze stuff, and like that's basically how the economics of the internet works. For all these like free platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, whatever. It's a classic saying of if you're not being sold a product, then you are the product, mm. etc. Yeah, yeah. So the really interesting thing about that is um even though we've got like <laughs> like some of the like best it's it's kind of depressing, but uh like some of like the best like computer science minds of like our generation are working basically on how to increase like Facebook ad revenue by like 1% per quarter or whatever, that's um, quickly running into um, diminishing returns. Just because to make better inferences using algorithms, you need like ever increasing amounts of data and uh, every increasing amounts of computing power. And like you can't just, after a certain point, it just becomes very difficult to get data from people and computing power obviously costs money. Um, and so it was either like earlier this year or late last year, uh, there was a piece about how Facebook basically lied about um, the amount of engagement um, it was getting from um, videos on its website. And like that was a big deal because all these news companies um, shifted to video because Facebook promised it was like really engaging and it wasn't. And so there were like a, just a bunch of stuff like that. And the, the upshot basically is like that model of financing um, internet companies, it cannot return it cannot see like the same returns on growth that it did for um the past however many years and so eventually like it's like kind of going to hit a wall another dynamic that um is probably going to diminish the ability of corporations to spy on us is that um uh, culturally um we're um we're becoming like so much more uh interconnected one really good place you can see this is with like sort of culture online um it moves at this incredibly fast rate and it's like incredibly unpredictable and you've got the jokes on twitter like in terms of complexity and references you know it makes like postmodernist literature like 
look, you know, like infantile by comparison. And so basically what's happening is like we're all fragmenting into like subcultures and the speed of which discourse moves um, makes it like very difficult for um, uh, like the what advertisers previously wanted to do, which was like break people down into like categories and advertise to them. It's It's why we've seen like corporations trying to you know adopt like ironic social media personalities and even then there's like there's potential for diminishing returns there because like it it only works because it's so new and novel but then once everyone starts doing it it gets old and boring and and i think like the degree to which you know as a society we're in certain ways we're becoming like our our levels of like meta and like self-reference and it's becoming so like complex that that make attempts to monitor us from a top-down perspective it it hurts them that's on like the advertising side on like the government side um there's like still basic fundamental problems uh of what a that prevent ai from doing certain things that we still haven't solved that we could solve potentially but we haven't solved it yet which um limits their effectiveness um first of all there's like the pro the problem of just like computing all the data that comes in so they may or may not be able to do that but the second one is um to like do something like the chinese social credit system you need to have like specifically defined um behaviors that are bad and that are not bad these are the problems that we've already like dealt with for you know hundreds or thousands of years in like the legal area where like you can't create a legal system that can regulate every single behavior in existence because there's like an infinite amount of them and you can only ever write like a finite amount of words in a book that dictates what you can and cannot cannot do. And so like there's like potential for people to like step outside the system and try and game it. I, I haven't looked too much into like how people are doing that in China, but like I think people have already done that. Yeah, in like the United States, um, for like out al- like for systems of algorithmic control that aren't as all encompassing. Yeah, there's there's like weird mathematical reasons why like attempting to create like such a system, while it is certainly scary and we shouldn't like understate it, there are like limitations to it. But I think um, that's all like that. Those are all like you know like technical questions about what we can and can't do with technology. I think the really interesting question is like how should we move forward and what should our expectations around privacy be. I think just the sheer like economics of surveillance means that privacy outside of very um, specific contexts is like going to be basically dead. And I think the question then is, do we want a democratic form of surveillance where like everyone can see everything or, you know, do we want it in the hands of an individual that we don't really have checks and balances for, or like we do have checks and balances for, but like, you know, we can't see what they're doing, and so we don't really have checks and balances. Um, there was this science fiction author called David Brin, who wrote this book called The Transparent Society, like, in the late 90s, where he kind of saw all this coming, um, and he basically said, like, the choices are between, like, everyone can see everyone else, or, like, only a certain group of people can see everyone. I think, like, our current conception of privacy, I think it comes from the industrial revolution and like the modernizing that happened around then. Um, I think prior to that, I think, um, you know, our lives are a lot more open for better or worse. I think that 
just the simple like facts of technology means that for a mature information age society like just awareness of everything that is like the most simple path and like anything else will require like constant like pushing back against um like what is just very easy to do unfortunately well, that's really an interesting perspective, and it's making me think maybe I'm being anachronistic about my approach to privacy. <laughs> because you're right, it, it could, I mean, well, the thing that you mentioned about uh, a future where we could all see everything, I mean, I think we more or less right now have a very tepid version of that. I mean, you have these social media outlets, the government can see a lot, advertisers can see a lot, but none of them have the whole picture. But yeah, I can imagine certainly a future where our ideas on privacy have to socially shift, if not legislatively shift. But right now we're, we're in this weird place of, you know, we we're kind of throwing our hands in the air and saying, well, we still enjoy these services, so we'll give you all this data, but we have no idea what kind of implications there's going to be for it other than helping train algorithms and AI to get better and better. Well, one thing, one countervailing force might be, might be that like, um, you know, you'll be able to see everyone, but like, uh, uh, like your ability to like change your physical form will also like get to the point where like you, you know, you can kind of go like, anonymous. Mm. Everyone will be able to see what you do, but like you'll have such freedom in like how you can express yourself that you'll have some degree of anonymity. Mm-hmm. That's like one countervailing force. The other one is um in just in terms of like using the internet, there is like software like VPNs or whatever where you can um like spoof your identity. I don't think it's like totally gonna vanish. Mm-hmm. I I think in certain ways that were definitely not true before. I think like space will become a lot more legible, and the only question is is like do we want it to be legible to everyone or do we just want it to be legible to a select few yeah um and that's where a lot of these transhumanist arguments kind of come into play of having it be more uh democratizable or is it more of an elitist thing and certainly i think of things like a year or so ago in the states we had the the erosion of net neutrality and uh, slowly creeping in we're seeing some fast lane-esque things happening so people being priced out of certain tiers of internet and and things like that. And the more these different companies kind of work together and make packages and deals and bundles that only, you know, that you can kind of parse into. um, It's just, I don't know. It's a weird spot to be in. And it's, it's weird to think how it'll, how it'll keep translating. Really. It's, I mean, the wild west of the internet may be over. We're in the, we're in the phase where we're quite hitting the industrial revolution of it. You know, so you can have your prairie, but you can also hop on the train, um, so to speak. And, you know, the companies are really uh, starting to clamp down further and further. I mean, we're seeing it in, in just our entertainment, our media, you know, Disney Plus and all these different streaming services that are coming along. It, it makes me think of what you were saying earlier about how culture keeps fragmenting into these smaller and smaller spaces and how there might be diminishing returns uh, with the advertising side of this debate. I mean, I think you're right. I think uh, memes definitely help. Memes are a way to be meta, (laughs) to be, you know, have, I mean, not only is it this uh, beautiful artistic expression and it's like immediate, I mean, there's something about, you know, you see a good meme or something or some post from Twitter and it's just so perfect. Uh, It says something like that. It's like, oh, my finger was on that, but I could not express that thought. 
And I think people used to get those kind of epiphanies from books or literature or some kind of moving cinema, but now we're getting almost a daily feed of these things, um, for better or worse. You know, some people argue because we're only getting the platitude side of things. It's There's a lot lost, but that's another debate for another time. Yeah. So I will say one thing about net neutrality. Um, so the current like internet infrastructure, it was the result of like people deliberately choosing to lay down um, like fiber optic cables. I don't know, like back in the 90s. And um, like one movement that's like sort of risen up in response to that is um, this thing called mesh networking, which is basically like you basically like install um, software on like your Wi-Fi router and your Wi-Fi router will connect to all other Wi-Fi routers that are running the same software within its radius. And then like it'll basically form, you know, something akin to what the internet was originally supposed to be, which Mm. is, you know, like all networked together. The idea of that is it's um, supposed to like bypass the official uh, internet cables there's like some projects you mean like the things that the isp owns or their infrastructure yeah 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 i think in america like i think right now it's only happening at a municipality level yeah which isn't that impressive but i think in places like um spain and greece they've got ones that like cover major parts of the country Mm. um and you know if you live within those areas you just don't have to like go through an isp you've got this alternative Mm -hmm. i know in the states that we are fighting I see from time to time news stories pop up about different cities trying to fight to keep or try to establish their municipalities' internet providing service, however that looks, because essentially you get Google and Comcast to come in and, and try to be the only game in town. But like, what I'm trying to get at, though, is like, I think, um, unlike, so like, unlike previous like technological revolutions, I think um, one thing about like our current one is that, um, some of the technologies are very like democratizable and like you you don't need to like have a majority to like fight back you can like kind of do your own thing and it's it's not going to be as like splashy as like what the other people can offer but you kind of you trade away that for like responsiveness and i think there's like some really interesting stuff that's going on there one thing that i'm really interested in although i haven't read much about it is like kind of more um, decentralized social media platforms where you have control over the algorithms that give you content. Because, like, I, I I use Twitter a lot and I really like it, but um, I'd like it even more if, like, I could choose what, like, I received. Right now, I have very little control over that. And um, I think, like, you know, there's a lot of discourse over, like, social media because it played such a big role uh, in, like, politics over, like, the last couple of years. Um, and like people are talking about like regulating it on um, a state level. I think an alternative vision to that would be like giving us the ability to control like what we see even more. And, you know, of course there are some people who would be like, yeah, but you know, then we're going to get even more extreme viewpoints. But I, I, I think I disagree. I think um, one reason why people are such dicks on social media is because um, <laughs> I, 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 you don't really have much choice in how you can engage with people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you've got very simplistic, like mute block options, like the mechanisms that you use to like send and receive messages, um, are very, it's very like primitive right now. Um, and it's mostly like it was designed to, you know, 
maximize engagement, not like maximize quality of the um, individual. <laughs> no, you're right. The tools are very primitive. I, I'm not even sure if you can italicize on some platforms, oh, yeah. which is like, to me, it's a major, that would be even that step and people using that. I mean, not that anybody would actually use it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you and your friends like are talking to each other and like, you know, you're making an obvious joke, you know, it's very hard for people outside your friendship group to like see that yeah and there's there's a little there's some things here and there i'll see like a slash s for sarcasm little nomenclature like that i i mean i wish that went a lot further um and maybe it will as we as we see more and more people engage but i i really i like this idea about us having control and choice over what we have shown to us i think that would behoove not only us even if it's a false sense or not because of course these companies will at the end of the day, still choose to show us what they show us. But right now it's, it's, they're just web scraping and data scraping and trying to make heads and tails of what we may or may not want. And you get the ridiculous things like Amazon, you know, suggesting that you buy one object that you buy, you know, again, like, Oh, you bought a vacuum cleaner, buy it again. Like, why would I need to buy (laughs) It seems it's so obvious to us, yet it still exists and it's still something they haven't snuffed out that would be easy to snuff out. That would be a, a, a step in the right direction. I've also had similar thoughts about uh, local government. So, for example, I would love to see a, a type of uh, secure network where somebody could get on and verify their, I mean, in some way, I guess, and this is a this is kind of separate from voter identification, which here in the States is a big issue because there's implications behind it of not being easy for people of certain minorities to be able to vote. But some type of verification, however it comes, that you're a voter and you go into the system and then there's this kind of easy to read layman's terms budget and you get to decide you know, you have so much money in taxes you pay, so I'm going to put this to this budget and this to this budget. And I think that would go a long way into a representative democracy that was actually each person would go. Of course, the other issue with that is, is you know, not accessibility. So not everybody would be able to get on. Um, is it, would it just be voters, uh, all these other externalities? But it would still mean that we have more control than just pointing a finger and saying, I choose this person and I'll trust them, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> you know, until, until I can't. And yeah, then yeah, absolutely. we have a, a quagmire of a process to get them out of office. So definitely control controls in the purview. And I think it's really important to the transhumanist philosophies to, to include within it. Let's, let's, let's talk about politics. Um, <laughs> so there's this really good article called, um, Society is too complicated to have a president, complex mathematics suggest. Um, it's a Vice article, and it's um, explaining this paper by this guy uh, from, I think, the New England Complex Systems Institute. And it's basically a mathematical description of why overly centralized systems fail. Um, and I suggest everyone go read it. But basically, um, the problem is, is um, it, it, it's one of feedback. Um, because like any decision you make, especially for an institution that's like as important and key as government is going to have all these side effects. It's very, very difficult for simple, like mechanistic, like if a, then B sort of decision-making processes to be effective. People like, you know, joke about how like Donald Trump, you know, he came in with all these promises and then couldn't achieve them. 
But I think like one of the reasons that happened and you also saw it with Obama was just because like once a society reaches a certain threshold of complexity and you have all these people who are stakeholders and like they're all competing over this one central authority that has all this power, it's very, very difficult to make like decisions because you know you you want you obviously want checks and balances because you don't want like this central authority to get out of control but on the other hand like every single one of those checks and balances like increases the amount of time and the amount of resources it takes for like the um institution to make it like make any decisions or like get anything done you know what you're talking about there is like sort of related well no what what you're talking about is like a potential solution where like you look into like cutting out like the middleman who like makes decisions on your behalf maybe you replace it with like uh, an algorithm that takes in inputs from people and then like will decide where money goes or you know maybe you decide like yeah like maybe instead of like a government to handle these decisions maybe what we do is we just like give citizens free money and then they can use that money to like come up with solutions on their own and that don't have to go through like the government to solve this problem. But basically the general frost of like such arguments is like when you're in like a complex environment, you want like institutions that have, they take in like feedback from the environment like very quickly and they can like iterate on decisions and iterate on potential solutions and maybe iterate even on like potential, the institutions themselves um for solving problems so you know instead of having a single government institution that's supposed to solve a problem you have like multiple institutions and they're all doing their different things and then you know institutions that are successful like more people can go to them or you know like you've got some degree of like healthy competition um as opposed to like centralizing everything which um creates like yeah problems with stakeholders and it also creates problems with um mistakes are magnified mm-hmm. because it's either like it's like all or nothing right um, Which yeah. is definitely what we're kind of at, I think, in our political discourse. It's the, the extremist. Yeah, yeah. The pendulum keeps swinging just as hard as it can from one side to the next. And it's funny that, to me, there's a little irony here because I can imagine my co-host, Kenny, wasn't available, but you know, he's he's more of the libertarian mm-hmm. slant. And so yeah. that means making decisions and and things for, your, for yourself and not being dependent on any type of government and whatever type of government could exist would be a lot more direct, a lot more local, etc. And I just say irony because right now we're allowed to just have these views. And because we are currently at the centralized spectrum of things, you know, things can to some degree, as long as they're working, be an autopilot, right? So we're someone like myself or yourself would be uh, really all about these ideas and be involved. But you can, I can just as easily imagine somebody like, Oh my God, I got to get on this stupid system again. And they got to put in these things. Otherwise I'm going to get a penalty or otherwise I'm not going to do this or that. You know, there's always going to be a kind of frozen democratic swath out there. Who's just like, just let me, let me live my life and forget about this. And well, I'm I'm fairly libertarian myself. Um, although I take it in a different direction, I'm not I'm not like um I don't think um I don't think like self sufficiency is like good. I just think like libertarian arguments on like certain things are correct. Um, I think like 
uh, you know, I think like centralized institutions and in complex environments um, tend to fail and they tend to fail like pretty spectacularly. But um, I'm also like in, in many other respects, I'm also very egalitarian. But I, I think I, that's where a lot of people are as far as having a dichotomy of beliefs uh, on, the, on the political spectrum, which just makes all these things all the harder. Yeah, well, that's so. That's why. But that's why I was talking about stuff like um, like mesh networking. Mm. I think so. I think if like we were having like steampunk transhumanism, and it was like <laughs> you, you had to go through like big institutions. So one example, I guess, is like um, in like the fifties and sixties, where we saw like really tremendous scientific advancement. Um, one way that happened was you know we just had these massive institutions that would be like very like ordered and like very hierarchical and then like within them you'd you'd have like these crazy eccentrics that would be allowed to do their own thing but that required you know all these other people following orders and it was very you know rigid so i think i think if we were in that case then you know i think for what i want i think yeah i would have to bite that bullet and i'd have to be like yeah you know you go into those institutions and it sucks in all these ways but you know it's the only way you can get things done i don't think that's the case anymore i think um technological super empowerment i think um individuals now because of technology like one individual or like a small group can do what used to take like hundreds or thousands like um i remember um like in one of my classes when i was at university someone said you know i on my smartphone like i have access to the same amount of information that just a couple decades ago like the only institutions that would have that information would be like governments and large corporations. And now everyone potentially has access to it. And um, I think, I think like one area you can see that is with um, like the biohacking movement, which is, you know, just people with fairly um, inexpensive technology. And, you know, maybe it's on the scale of like hundred thousand dollars, but you know, it's at their local like hacker space or whatever. And like, they're playing around with biology and like some of these people are even like, self-experimenting and stuff yeah how does this relate to people not being interested in democracy i think i think a big part of it is um i think people don't like in terms of feedback i think there's like an alienation there where like when i vote like i don't really get any like feedback i think if people like had more feedback from their civic engagement i think you know they'd want to engage you with it more you know right right now like just mathematically speaking like if you vote in like a presidential election like you do not have much of an impact. Um, in fact, I have seen pretty convincing mathematical models saying like you should not vote. It is it is rational for you not to vote. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and like obviously, like in saying that, I don't want to like disregard the fact that there's like voter suppression and shit. Yeah. Like obviously, just because it's like, not rational doesn't wanna... mean it's not important. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, uh, like a safe state mm -hmm. for either party. Like. It is kind of rational just not to vote. In yeah. fact, it's probably like more rational go to like a swing state and yeah. like just do activism there than to actually vote. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I'm in, nah, I'm in Florida, think, um, so that I'm definitely uh, uh, it's very rational for me to vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you should. Yeah, otherwise, like the like swamp men will get power. Right. And, God, that'd be awful. In terms of like moving towards this future i think like obviously politics is important but i think also like doing it ourselves um is also equally as important and one argument can be had that the frustration that we see now the i mean frustration is a mild way to put it too uh is because we have this system that is so anachronistic and it's so counter to how almost everything else in our lives work 
our banks are automated. Our so many of our systems uh, are either automated or or so easy and easy to use or frictionless. Right now, government is. You can't think of a more frictionful example. Now, of course, that is somewhat by design. You have the three branches and the Ninth Circuit and all these other things. Um, so that's that's good to a degree, but we're we're really to this point where a lot of the friction that's happening isn't isn't because we need some time to think about and to weigh you know the laws of the land. It's happening because there's an obstructionist mindset that's kind of taken hold and. Um, no real progress of any kind is being made. And that's always been my argument uh, to people uh, in general. It's like, you know, I almost don't care who's in office as long as they're doing something that's not just tearing something down. That's that's kind of what I can't stand. Even if, you know, of course, that that obviously has its, its downsides too. You're getting the general zeitgeist moving in some direction. And to me, that's more important than just um, kind of sitting on your hands and saying, no, we need to go back to some other way of how it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and like, and like, even just like practically speaking, like, you know, like you're not going to be able to like both, um, I guess like the left and right of like American electoral politics, like the visions they're presenting, like just don't make any sense. Like you're, you're not going to be able to like do well, you can do economic nationalism in like the age of globalism, but like it's really dumb for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and also like it's it's also really difficult to try and pull off like a New Deal sort of thing just because like of the realities of like automation and also like 1930s, 1950s um economic policy kind of required a world war for it to work. Yeah. It it like really just doesn't make any and the final thing is like technology in many ways like has the potential to like free us from work yeah and what's her name like alexandria ocasio-cortez like say what you want about her politics and like her opinions on things but a couple months ago she was like we should be taxing robots and like robots coming to take our jobs is really good if like the benefits can be spread around to everyone you know you can argue over like the implementation of that um and like you know how ownership over robots would work but like that sort of mindset you know is is at the very least it is something new yeah absolutely actually i, I never heard her i've never heard that position yeah. but um it's uh it's interesting to think about just just somebody in our congress that is actually thinking about yeah. not even i mean i i don't know if it was framed as legislation but just just putting forth the idea that hey, technology is a part of this whole thing. We can yeah. no longer afford well, to mean, make, keep it so separate. Well, I mean, like that's um again, like say what you want about him, but like that is like Andrew Yang's um presidential campaign. Um, I I have I have issues with him, um, but um, yeah. like I can respect the fact that he's sort of like making this a central part of his thing, and he's like bringing the discussion to the table and you know he's getting um he's getting people talking yeah just introducing it into our democracy in some way is important because you know i definitely can see the issue we have of the elon musks and the jeff bezos being the only kind of arbiters of where this stuff goes they're multi-interested so there's always, mm -hmm. their focus will always be in other places as far as i can see right now um there should be more institutional kind of consistency in this regard. And I'm sure there is to mm -hmm. some degree um, different offices that deal with technology, but 
you know, the same way we have the completely, I don't want to say pointless. I mean, <laughs> pointless in the sense that the TSA exists and that's the only connection mm-hmm. I make with them, but like the Department of Homeland Security here in the States, um, this thing that was created out of fear essentially and exists, mm-hmm. um, you know, as this entity of itself to uh, make things secure. I mean, there should be some mm-hmm. type of entity. I mean, I think of the EPA maybe is a better example. That's sole focus is on the issues of technology and its interconnection and and things like that. Oh, so you mean like a government organization that like, um, is, I don't know, like, it's like a futurist, um, like risk assessment organization. Yeah. Maybe, maybe something like that. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe it doesn't need to be like a a whole organization. Maybe it could just be a, a, some part of a cabinet or something. Um, but certainly more, understanding of it other than just saying because basically the narrative we keep getting is like yes technology is here and it's it is very it is evolving things and where do we do it's more (laughs) of a throwing our hands up instead of just breaching these subjects as they come and you know my biggest the hill i always die on is like i mentioned earlier was the the data privacy stuff i mean that's just one issue of many that could be focused on instead of just saying you know We've got to talk about yeah. it, and what's our discourse? Well, n- yeah, I, I don't, know, I don't know. I think, um, I think a big part of it is just like, unfortunately, the United States, like the majority of like, um, the people in your political institutions are just like really fucking old. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> oh, I saw somewhere like the is it that the obvious? Is it is it showing? <laughs> to- uh, yeah. <laughs> Like the average age is like somewhere around like, you know, 70 or 60. Um, yeah. You know, you don't like, I think there's like only like a couple people who are actually scientists mm-hmm. in your government as well as engineers. This is the part of the podcast where we shame America and I just put my head down. I will happily, <laughs> happily take part. No. Um, so yeah, this gets actually to like the broader question of like how, what like how would a mature transhumanist society like organize itself um i think there are like broad visions of that there's like sort of like the social democratic one there's like you know uh like libertarian one which you know is like really obvious um like there's like more like anarchist ones there's even fascist ones i think unfortunately or maybe fortunately depending on your perspective but um you know i don't know like if the state as an institution can survive transhumanism, I've seen arguments either way. Um, but I don't think like a state like the United States can survive in terms of how it implements laws. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that's, I, I think, um, you know, if I was going to bet on like states that would still be around at the end of the um 21st century, I'd bet on like countries that are really trying to innovate their governance. Like, um, uh, Thai, uh, no, not Thailand. Um, Taiwan, I think, is doing some really interesting things. Estonia is like a poster child. Uh, I think Iceland is doing some cool stuff. I think the sort of like crazy, like seasteading or like people who want to set up societies on like in on like asteroid belt or like Mars. I would bet on like those uh, being the ones that would survive. Um, because um, the like you know, liberal democratic, um, form of governance was, um, really in many ways, like a product of the industrial revolution. It demanded like you needed certain mechanisms in society, for like the economy to function. 
um and that gay and that liberal liberal like a liberal democracy was like the uh system on hand and that's what we gravitated towards maybe some other systems would have worked i don't know but um basically um you know the complexity of the society demanded like you know multiple points of view you couldn't just have like one king you know command everything um the fact that like weapons like you know guns and stuff uh meant that like smaller forces could potentially triumph against larger forces which meant you know you had to include more people within the conversation and then like the fact that you know you didn't just have these localized economies like you had all these vast um networks of trade and you know like moving resources from one place to another uh that demanded also like representation because if you didn't have that then like you know entire regions could just like stop working and then your entire you know civilization would come to a halt um and so obviously like the potential of transhumanism like all these emerging technologies like you can obviously see that they will also um like for similar demands on our government and i think there's like a lot of really interesting stuff to be said there but you know it's also very complicated yeah absolutely <laughs> and right right now it's also very reactionary we're just kind of mm, yeah we're just doing things that uh feel like band-aids the most recent one i can think of here in the states is we had legislation over oh, i can't remember exactly how it was worded um but basically it it was under the guise of i think child pornography um and uh basically there as a result it shut down all of these kind of uh prostitution websites and you yeah. know like yeah, craigslist yeah, yeah. for example you know they yep. no more classified yep. so yeah um and you know you have the externalities you have now these sex workers essentially are back kind of in the streets and doing all these other you know illegal on top of illegal <laughs> things yeah so. that was like sesta foster wasn't it i believe so yeah yeah but what happened there is like um sex workers they had like um forums online where like they could like screen clients and you know people could tip each other off over um like whether someone was trustworthy or not and then you know they basically they it was yeah they had like this um like reputation economy basically uh that was very like this invaluable resource and probably like saved like countless lives and then yeah, they legislated it out of existence accidentally. So yeah, like stuff like that. Yeah, and again, like that kind of goes to my point about how like complexity and, you know, like a lack of feedback uh, is really important. And, you know, we can imagine a future where uh, sex workers become virtual, uh, even more so than just like <laughs> yeah. cam people. How far do you take that until it's um, prostitution by another means? And, um, you know, you just kind of keep going and going from there uh what what about prostitution from cyborgs we have a westworld scenario where um you know it's uh, is it just is it okay because it's technically property of a company and it's not a it's not a real human and, and all these uh interesting questions kind of pop up but right now yeah we don't have anything near the mechanism uh, especially here in the states to kind of deal with this stuff just groups trying to advocate for it to some degree um and getting getting their talking points in when they can you know based on how much money their lobbies have of course but uh <laughs> but yeah um well uh we're we're kind of winding down here a bit and i want to take it from the from the large and kind of get 
a little personal here. Sure. I'm thinking about uh, if you had somewhat of a transhumanistic or transhuman um, wish list, a bucket list of things you would love to either have happen to yourself or see in society, maybe, uh, maybe just uh, one or two things you wouldn't mind uh, sharing. So one technology I'm really interested in is um, implant, like bodily implants that like uh, basically act as like a sort of lab on a chip. I've seen some stuff, like some hints at this potentially becoming a thing, but I don't know how good they are. But um, like as someone who's, you know, dealt with a chronic illness, um, like a massive part of a massive concern of mine was um, just the lack of information about what was going on in my body. Um, and so if I had like an RPG readout of what was going <laughs> on in my body at any one time, mm. all the different levels of various chemicals and um, compounds, that'd be super useful. And also like, I imagine um, that would be like revolutionary because, um, you know, developing countries and also like people in developed countries who don't have access to healthcare, like, you know, having a constant readout of what was going on in their body would be extremely useful. And then um, the other, the other one, um, I, I, I honestly like new energy technologies. Hmm. I think, um, yeah, I think like kind of the human condition. I think really progresses insofar as like we unlock new sources of energy, and obviously like better solar panels would be amazing. Um, and I think would really democratize energy uh, alongside you know obvious environmental benefits, fusion reactors, and other like science fiction forms of energy would be amazing for um space travel mm. and would also democratize space travel which would be really awesome yeah. and actually would actually would probably suck a lot more than we think oh, because yeah. space is like <laughs> a really crazy place but um that that'd be super cool nice for your first thought about a more kind of biodynamic technology all i can think of is what we have now we have a watch that can maybe tell us our heart rate try to kind of guesstimate different biorhythms to, to tell us what we may or may not have slept like. I'm not actually sure on that one. I don't have, I don't have a smartwatch myself. And then we have the steps. Everyone loves, loves to tout their steps or not, you know, and, and I think I know what you're talking about. That's, I, I definitely share that one on, on my bucket list. Uh, something like that, that's way more comprehensive. It could, it could tell you all sorts of things that are going on in your blood right now, maybe ha somehow measure how much energy you might have left or measure your circadian rhythms or stuff like that to kind of give you an idea. And also like, um, you know, you could see changes in your diet yeah. um, or like supplements you were taking. You'd have like, cause like right now, like um, my experience anyway, um, you know, you start taking like a different supplement. It's like very difficult to tell uh, what like effect it's had on you um, because it's so subjective and it's very difficult to like compare once one like mental state or physical state to another because like you have no way of recording it mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and you know my mind easily jumps to a more dystopian oh, idea yeah. of this so imagine you had this device that was owned by pfizer and they said well you know may, why don't we just um, implant also with this device the type of medication this person needs and then pfizer has a say if, uh, you know, they'll read those bio inputs and dispense what medication they deem is necessary. Then the government has an involvement maybe because you're on probation because of drug use and, you know, all these type of uh, kind of black mirror situations come about. But in the meantime, 
<laughs> we'll have it. We'll- it is very easy as like you read any transhumanist stuff and then like you're like, oh, I could like, you know, I'm going to go become a writer for Black Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that is mined from this movement. Um, maybe that's why I'm so interested in it because I love that show. <laughs> but yeah. And as far as the energy stuff's concerned, um, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, especially when it comes to space travel, there's no real, I can't see a future where we don't have some kind of renewable energy source or replenishable energy source where we can sustain that long-term. It's just a resource issue. And then of course that has implications, I think, for a universal basic income type of situation, um, you know, where energy is easy to come by. So how much, how much outputs do we need? So, uh, maybe like the first universal basic income we'll see is like, um, it won't actually be universal basic income, but it'll be like, um, a municipality or something will like just buy everyone in there, um, like a solar panel or something. And then because solar panels are just constantly producing energy, like that energy can then become like, you can then like turn that energy into like whatever like your robots that you have around can do. Yeah, this really leaves a lot for the imagination. That's one of the beautiful things about it. But uh, it's important to connect that with kind of uh, how we see it play out in the here and now. And yeah, as far as me, um, you know, I, I guess right now I'm still kind of in the idyllic uh, science fiction realm with things. Um, my my biggest thing on my wish list and has been since I could remember is, is uploading some part of your consciousness or even your memories to a cloud of some kind. Whichever one of those is going to come first, you know. So I, I don't know why that uh, intrigues me, just the idea. I've always been fascinated the moment I heard that Walt Disney froze his head or any of these people <laughs> cryogenically freeze themselves and, uh, and, and looked into plans like that because it seems like you can just imagine this. You, you just wake up one day and you're surrounded by these proto-humans and, yeah, go from there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just my religious upbringing and trying to find a different way to live forever i don't know oh yeah no yeah it, no please um like um there are like very um a lot of people have pointed out like the christian links to transhumanism you should not feel embarrassed at all well awesome well hey frank i really appreciate you coming on the show and um yeah no problem it's great to have you do you have anything you'd want anybody to check out any anything you're working on anybody could find you at? um yeah, no, I I do like boring politics stuff that if you if you care about um follow me at um mutual underscore a aid that's a y y d e on Twitter um and then um what you should actually check out because it's it's amazing is um there's this guy Ryan O'Shea who's um a transhumanist who does a podcast called um Future Grind. He gets like people who are like in the in the trenches with this sort of stuff. He gets like people who are like working on technology or like philosophers who are like really um you know figuring this stuff out. If you want to like you know get a sense of like what the people who are really serious about this sort of stuff are thinking about, you should um check that out. Really recommend it. Um and then also I'll give a shout out to um. David Chapman, who's um this um guy who did like AI back in the uh like eighties and nineties and then he dropped out. He's this uh he's like this guy who's like trying to like reinvent Buddhism and also like basically like this philosophy to deal with the problems of what 
people call like postmodernism or postmodernity. I, I didn't get a lot from him, but like his um his project, which is um meaningness meaningness dot com, um has like like if anyone was like oh like how do you think about things like the way he like approaches like questions of ontology, which is like a really nerdy way of saying like what is in the world, um yeah um his 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 project is like where it's at and um if like you want to you know get involved if you want to like understand like you know the more like nerdy philosophical stuff that's what i'd recommend um yeah awesome yeah well i'll go ahead and and try to put some of that in the show notes so people can have some some links to what you just mentioned and uh yeah i guess uh that's gonna do it for this week at things we think about all right have a good one If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find more Things We Think About discussion on Reddit at r slash Things We Think About. If you're interested in contributing to the show, our Patreon information is available in the description of the podcast, as well as on any of our YouTube videos.